Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. And you can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com. Or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us today and enjoy today's service. Pastor Tim, and I ask him, I say, how many years have you been in full-time ministry? And he tells me the number. And then I tell him mine, and then we add them up together. And just in two of us, we have had together, combined, over 80 years of full-time ministry. Now, I'm pretty tired because I've been carrying him on my back most of those years. But the truth of the matter is, that's a whole lot of late night hospital calls, <clears throat> a whole lot of early morning coffee meetings. There's a whole lot of funeral services by the hundreds, a whole lot of weddings by the hundreds. And it's even more when it comes to hearing life stories from you. And one of the things that we have found out over these 80 plus combined years of doing ministry is that uh, everybody from the age of 12 to the age of 100, everybody is living life under pressure. Everybody. And as a result of that, there will be times and even seasons in our life where we think we're about to break. So welcome to Meltdown Prevention or Meltdown Recovery. We're glad you're here. We're going to be talking about this topic of living life under pressure and Manage your meltdowns for the entire month of August, Tim and I together, and it's, man, we're both very, very excited about it, and we both kind of need it ourselves, so you're going to get in on it. Now, as a reminder, we already gave this to you, but look on the side screen. A meltdown is when a person acts unexpectedly, or when a person acts out of character for them. Now, watch this. In response to something they are experiencing emotionally. Where's it coming from? It's a response to something they're experiencing emotionally. It doesn't even mean it's real. It doesn't even mean it's going to happen or it has happened. It's just something going on inside of them emotionally that causes them to engage behaviorally in a way that is sabotaging their life. Now, what's causing them to behave in a way that's going to sabotage their life? It's a response to something they're experiencing on the emotional side. So now it makes sense. You know that scripture I shared with you a couple of weeks ago in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Your heart, which is the invisible and intangible part of you that includes your mind, your will, your emotions, your imagination, and your affections. And God says, I gave it to you, now you guard it. Well, Father, I want to pray in the name of Jesus that you would guard my heart and my mind and my emotions. And not. No, no, God didn't say that. 
God said, that's your stewardship. That's your deal. The Bible says that you are to take captive every thought and bring it up underneath obedience to Jesus. You got to do it. That's not his job. It's not on his job description. It is for you and I to guard our hearts, our minds. And to say, no, no, I'm not watching that. That's not coming into my house. Turn that off. Turn that off right there. That's you. That's your job. I'm not reading that. I'm not listening to that joke. No, no, no. You drop the F-bomb way too many times in one sentence, and you don't even make sense when you're doing it. You can't be in my presence because I'm guarding my mind. That's my job, not yours. It's my standard. It has nothing to do with you. So God says this is something that we're to steward over, that if you are going to stay on top of your emotions, you are going to have to guard your heart. Now, two weeks ago, I told you that it was gate season. For those of you who mismanaged pain in the past, and I'm not making light of anybody's pain, but if you've mismanaged it and you walled up your heart, you did something that your Heavenly Father never told you to do. So you don't wall up your heart as if it's some kind of security blanket because it's not. It's more like a prison when you do that. You put a fence around your heart and then you attach a gate to that fence and then you stand guard. You do it, not the wall, you do it. And you get a big old can of WD-40 and you just hit those hinges on that gate real good and you let everybody know this gate to my heart swings both ways. You earn the right to get on this side, it'll swing in. But if you do something when you're on the inside of my heart and my life, I'm going to show you the gate and watch it swing out. And I'm not going to take years to do it either because it's my standard. The standard I set for myself is to guard my mind and to guard my emotions, to guard my heart. Why? Because that's what God told me to do. Now, when I set a standard for my family or when you set a standard for your family, it really doesn't have... To to do with anybody else. It is all about you and your family. You see, you side decide that this book, God's book, is the best guideline for your life. And you don't take advice from people that don't know your God. You don't take advice from anyone who thinks that God does not exist, because the Bible says that a fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So you decide right off there is a God, this is his word, therefore you're going to live your life not based on culture, not based on what's happening in our society, not what's going on, what's, not what's popular, not what the new, you know, the new groups, you know, uh, marching about. No, no, you decided this is it. And even though we have some wonderful, wonderful teachers that teach wonderful things in our school, and by the way, the kids are going back to school, right, this week? Is it this week? Oh, thank you, Lord, for the kids going back to school. Quick prayer for the kids going back to school. We forgot that up front. Father, bless our kids as they go back to school. Bless our wonderful school teachers. Thank you so much that they can go to school in this community. Thank you so much for what you're doing in their lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, bless them, protect them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the things that we know about teachers, there's some good ones, but there's also some bad ones. And sometimes teachers will want to teach our kids things that we don't want them to teach. So we get to set the standards and say, no, 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 reading, writing, and arithmetic. But I have set a standard that my eight-year-old daughter, the only thing my eight-year-old daughter needs to know about an eight-year-old boy is that he has cooties. That's all they need to know. That's it. And we don't need adults getting their little child like mine and messing them up. That's a standard that I set. And when you're setting standards for yourself or your life or guarding your heart, don't become an over-explainer. 
You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean when I say overexplain? You ever know somebody say, well, I can't make coffee. Here's why I can't, here's why I can't make a coffee meeting with you. Well, I got to go to the store. The reason why I got to go to the store, my husband didn't pick anything up when they came home last night, so he didn't go to the store. He forgot something. It, just, say you, just say you can't make it. It, it. This is really good for those of you that are over-explainers that think everybody needs an explanation for why you're doing what you're doing or why you're not going to do what you're not going to do. Here, listen to this. A counselor said this, and I think it's really good, and I love it. Listen to this. Adults inform, children explain. Isn't that good? Oh, yeah. So don't be an over-explainer when it comes to this. Just guard your heart. Set your standards. Why? Because I'm guarding myself from a meltdown. I'm guarding myself from a chapter 19. I'm guarding myself from just breaking, coming to a point where I think I'm going to break. Now, a meltdown occurs, and when it does, people react a whole lot of different ways, and we see them react in different ways in the Bible, and we're going to talk about some of these people this month. But Moses responded to a meltdown with irritability. He just became so irritable. Man, you didn't know what you were going to get when Moses in a good mood, in a bad mood, he's going to kill somebody, is he going to smack a rock when he should I mean, you just didn't know. And many times your family may not know who you are when it comes to you coming home and eating. I'm adjusting this because I, I'm hot and not in a good way either. I'm talking sweaty and all that. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. Funny. That's funny right there. So Moses responded with irritability, and a lot of people do. You can tell, man, if something's going on with them, they're usually in a good mood. They're usually very positive. Now, why are they so irritable? Wow. Well, that was Moses. Elijah responded with sadness, with depression, and with suicidal thoughts. That's Elijah. Now, let me land right there on that story today. So y'all locked in for the teaching? Y'all ready to go? All right, get focused. Here we go. First Kings chapter 19. Here is Elijah's chapter 19. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. By the way, there were 450 of those guys, and he killed every one of them with a sword, the Bible said. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the God strike me, little g-god, she didn't believe in the heavenly father, and uh, strike me, and even kill me if I, by this time tomorrow, I have not killed you just as you killed them. And Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who've already died. I, I mean, I'm dead already. I'm already dead. And then he lay down, and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. Do you see the exclamation point? Get up. Now, this is where you need to understand that our Heavenly Father is not a mom. He's not. A mom of God would have done this. Oh, you got a temperature. You got a fever. What's wrong? You just stay right there in that bed. No, 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 you don't have to go out today. You just lay right there. Let me fluff your pillow up. I'll get you some chicken noodle soup. I'll be right back. God's not a mom. And God is not a grandpa. If he was a grandpa, he came in with a checkerboard, some candy, and a couple of corny jokes. He's not a grandpa. He's a father. 
And as a father, he said to his child that was scared, that was hurting, that was beat up, and that was lonely, and was worn out, get up. Well, that sounds like a daddy, doesn't it? Get up. Now, you say, well, that's a little harsh. No, it's really not, because when your heavenly father who created you tells you to get up, number one, it's two things. Number one, and first and foremost, it is a command. And the way we respond to a command, anything that God tells us to do that is very clear, that black and white, no gray to this, get up means yes, sir. And you get up. Well, let me tell you, everything that's happened to me, God, I, I, excuse me, but I already know everything that's happened to you. Get up. The second thing it means when God tells you to get up after you have been knocked down and about broken and bankrupt and thinking suicidal thoughts is this. If your heavenly Father who created you tells you to get up, then it means he knows you can get up. Well, I don't think I can. Well, you can. Well, how do you know that? Because God told you to get up. And here's what else that means. If God who created and has the power with his word to put everything in place tells you something, that means you can automatically do that which he told you. Well, I'm not sure I can. Yeah, you can. Because he said, get up. Father God, in the powerful name of Jesus, I pray that you would bless now this message. I've been excited about it, and God, you've spoken to me through it that there are people in this room that are about to break. There are people in this room that are experiencing their own kind of meltdown. There are people in this room, they really can't put a finger on or kick the problem. It's happening in their mind and in their emotions where the enemy is attacked. So Father, we're asking today that you would begin a healing process this month as Pastor Tim and I bring your word. And that you would speak through us and get us out of the way. Just use us as a mouthpiece because that's, that's all we really need to be here. And I pray that you would bless these people in this room, those watching online, with what's about to be said here. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, this text exposes to us the experience of one of God's most prominent and powerful men in the Old Testament. His chapter 19 did not start in his chapter 19. But it started, and with most of us, we don't get to a place where we just are depressed and sad and not acting like ourselves or having suicidal thoughts overnight. It normally goes back a few stories. It goes back a few years in our life. In this case, it goes back a couple of chapters. In chapter 17 before 19, he made an announcement to a wicked king. This wicked king's name was Ahab. He was married to a woman named Jezebel, and they were being destructive with their own people. They were uh, they, there, there was desolation taking place in their land. They were treating their people awful. And so uh, the king was like, you know, at my word this, and at my word that, and people could die. And so Elijah stood before him and confronted the king. And so I'll tell you what, at my word, no more rain, no more dew on the ground. And it lasted for like three years. And this was a serious threat that was going on. This meant cattle were going to die. This meant people were going to die. They weren't going to be able to grow their crops. And Elijah said, no rain, no dew. How about that? Until, and then this is what he said, until I say so. And then God says, okay, Elijah, now I need you to do something. I'm going to give you some instructions. I need you to pay close attention after what you just said. I am going to shut up heaven. There's not going to be any more rain. I'm going to make sure there's no dew on the ground. But I need to protect you because I'm not going to let you be punished by somebody else's ins uh, 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 insubordination. That's a big word, insubordination. I had to look down to read that, right? 
And so God gives him this instruction, and the instructions are very detailed. 1 Kings chapter 17. Then the Lord said to Elisha, go to the east and hide by Cherith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Not just anywhere. i got a specific spot where I want you to go. Pay close attention. This is where I want you to go. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Now, there are a few truths here that we would be irresponsible if we overlooked them. Here's the first one. Look at it on the side screen. Sometimes your provision is on the other side of God's instruction. Sometimes your provision is just on the other side of God's instruction. So have you ever seen God's kids that are super, super blessed, and then God's kids who love God, eh, but they're not so much blessed? And one of the reasons, and not every reason, but one of the reasons is the fact that there are some people that are very astute to what God said. If God said, do this, I'm going to do that. God said, don't do that, I'm not going to do that. And there's no arguing about it. There's no rebellion. I'm just going to line up with God, what God said, and I'm going to try to take it to the detail. And then there are others who are like, yeah, God will forgive it. It's okay. But God said, if you want to be blessed, then you have to be where the blessing is. And many people say, well, where's my blessing? You were, your blessing is where you're supposed to be. If you get there, you get blessed. God, I, I want you to supply me. And God's like, I don't supply you on your terms. I supply you on mine. God says, I told you I was going to make a way for you. I told you where I was going to do this. You're looking for the blessing. Get to the brook. Get to where I told you the blessing would be. And here's a quote on the side screen that is very important for all of us to finally realize at every age, God is not on your payroll. You are on God's payroll. And that's why it's so important that you meet with him every morning and say, Father, what do you want me to do today? How, how can I be of help? What can I do? Give me discernment, Father. Give me the things that you know that I need. And Father, show me what you want me to do. And then maybe God in the morning will say, well, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And I want you to forgive that person. And you're like, I uh, forgive that person. I, I don't know about that. You know, that person, that person hurt me, and I'm not sure I can't forgive them. And, and not only that, Father, uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to trust them. And God tells you, well, I didn't tell you to trust them. I told you to forgive them. That goes to the second thing that I see in this passage of Scripture. The second part is this. And eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Here's the second thing I want you to see. God speaks raven. <laughs> Did he not just say, I commanded birds to bring you food? Does that not mean God speaks raven? It means that he is not limited by normal communication barriers. Look at this on the side screen. God knows how to get through to whatever has what you need. Jonah tells us that God speaks a whale. Three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the whale and, and, uh, and had them all swallowed up. He was all swallowed up with distress. He was all swallowed up with despair. He was all swallowed up with, with, with anxiety. And then God told the whale, spit Jonah out, and even told the whale where to spit Jonah out, where he'd be in a safe place, back to what God wanted him to do. When God speaks to your whale, whatever has swallowed you up, if you're swallowed up in anxiety and stress or depression, when God speaks to that whale that has you swallowed up, whatever is holding you has got to spit you out and let you go. Why? Because God speaks to the things that are swallowing you up. 
You talk and you talk and you have coffee with somebody and you might complain and you put it up on Facebook. This is what's happened to me. And God's the one who speaks to the issue to be able to release you from whatever it is. Moses teaches us that God speaks rock. In the New Testament, the children of Israel needed water. And God spoke to a rock and the rock gave water. Now, rocks don't have openings for water. But God spoke to that rock and the rock let go of that which it did not it would not let go of before. But would God will make closed things open up to you. Closed doors that somebody else should be walking through is now open up to you. Closed-minded people are open. Closed-hearted people are now receptive to you. God speaks rock. He speaks closed things in your life, and he makes them open up again. Jesus teaches us that God speaks grave. Three days and three nights, Jesus spent in the grave. Then one day... Jesus walked out of that grave. You know why? Because God speaks to dead things. You say, well, dead things don't have ears. Well, they must, because when God speaks to dead things, they do stuff. God speaks to bones. They get up and turn into an army. God speaks to Lazarus. He walks out of a grave. God speaks to something dead in your life, like a dream or like a relationship or something you let go of a long time ago, and all of a sudden that thing's got to come back to life. Why? Because your God speaks to things that nobody else can speak to. God speaks to dead things. God speaks to lions. We know about, you know all about that. Back to the ravens. God speaks ravens. Now, ravens aren't usually birds associated with being friendly with people. So God will, here you go, temporarily suspend a thing's nature in order for that thing to perform for you. He didn't change the nature of the raven. He suspended it. Which means, because he didn't change it, they are going to go back to their old ways. Listen, I suspended it so it could bless you, but since I didn't change it, you still can't trust it. Ruh-roh. Well, somebody's coming along. They're being all nice right now. That doesn't mean you can trust them. It just means they're coming along being all nice. Well, that individual's nature has always been to be this or to be that. And God may suspend them just long enough to be able to get you in a new position at work. Wonderful. That doesn't mean you can trust them. Well, that ex of mine, here he comes again. I'm telling you, whoo, he's bringing flowers and he's doing all this and he's doing that. He cheated on you 14 times. His little Bible class probably didn't change the nature. God suspended it to do something doesn't mean you can trust them. Oh, this is good. Look, not everyone God uses to bless you can be trusted. And some of us get confused between that which God sends to bless you and that which God intends for you to be friend. After a while, the brook dries up. Now he says, what am I going to do? He starts to panic. And anytime you panic, when a resource in your life dries up, it tells God you have more confidence and faith in the resource than you do the source. So never think because God is going to move you out of one season into another season that that one season that you're, you were depending on a re, as a resource, a job, a person, an individual, whatever, was the answer to your problem. God sent the brook. The brook wasn't sustaining Elijah. God was. And now it's time for God to move on. He says, here, I want you to move now. That season's over. We're going to go to Zarephath, and in Zarephath, he said, I'll tell you how we're going to feed you now. There's a widow there who doesn't have anything, and you're going to go there, and she's going to feed you. 
Well, okay. Okay, so he goes to Zarephath. There's this woman. And Elijah said, hey, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm about to make a meal for me and my son. We're both going to eat it, and we're both going to die. And Elijah goes, okay, but make me something first. Now, does that, does that bother anybody? You would think this man of God would say, well, let me go into the store. I'm gonna, we're going to do like, you know, we're going to fill your house up with groceries. I'm going to take up an offering. We'll be back in a little bit. Hey, bring your son with me. We're going to need some help, right? No, he says, me first. Isn't that something? And this is important for you to understand. You see, when it comes to God being God, look at it. He asks for exclusivity. In every other area, he just asks for priority. When it comes to God being God, he's going to be the only God. But in every other area of your life, he doesn't want to be just only. He just wants to be first. Does that make sense? He didn't. He doesn't want to be only where you don't go to work, you don't have a family, you don't have a wife, you don't have kids. No, no, he doesn't want to be only. He only wants to be only when it comes to him being your only God. But in every other area, he wants to be first. And in being first is faith. Putting God first is faith. She did that, and her food never ran out, the Bible says. But you know what else happened to her in the middle of a good time? That little boy that I talked about died. And Elijah went up to the bed, and he stretched himself across that little boy, and he asked God to bring life back into this boy's body. And that boy came back to life. Chapter 17. Chapter 18, there's a showdown. Tonight's miracle after miracle. He experiences some amazing things. Chapter 18 rolls around. Now, we're getting to the chapter 19 in his life. But chapter 18, he has a showdown with, a, with Ahab. He walks in there, and, he's, and, and he tells Ahab, you, you know, you're doing all these things. You got all these false prophets, 400 over here with Asherah. You got 450 over here with Baal. And he said, oh, all of them are false gods. They're all leading away God's people the way they shouldn't go. Let's just have a showdown right now, find out who's God. And whoever God is God, let him be God and everybody else a liar. And he said, this is what we'll do. You get a bowl, I'll get a bowl. We'll cut it in pieces. We'll build an altar. You put your bowl on that altar. I'll put my bowl on this altar. Bowl, B-U-L-L, -L, if you didn't understand. Bowl. I'll put that there, and then we're going to then we're going to light, see, we're not going to light a fire to it. We're going to see, call upon our God, and whoever's God answers, that'll be God. Everybody said, okay, that's good. Here's these 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah said, you guys go first. So they go in there, and they say, all right. They said, this is what we'll do. We'll, we'll dance around. The Bible says they hobbled around that altar. They begin to cry out, and Elijah's over here at noontime, starts making fun of them. Now, this wouldn't work politically today, because we all got to get along to get along, Right? So, you know, Elijah didn't have that bumper sticker on the back of his car. He didn't have that one. It talks about all the religions and all that. Elijah said, where is he? Hey, where's your God? Is he asleep? He's sleeping, isn't he? I'll bet he's in the bathroom. You go, did you just make that up? No, I'm telling you, it's in the scripture. He says, is your God in the bathroom? Is he on vacation? He must be daydreaming. That's what the problem is. Yell louder. They yelled louder. They cut themselves. They bled. They hobbled all around. And then the evening time came, he said, all right, enough's enough. Wet down my altar, and he wet, they wet it down with jars, wet it down again, wet it down again, wet it down again, wet it down again to make it good and wet. And then he stepped before those people, and he said, God, prove that you're God right now. And he sent down fire to consume this altar. Boom! Fire came down, hit that altar. Everything, the rocks included, the wood, the bull, the water in the trench, everything burned up. 
And then he said, I want you 450 prophets to go with me down to this valley. And he went, they went down to the valley with him, and Elijah killed every one of them with a sword. 450 men. And then here's this woman. And this woman threatens the prophet. And the Bible says that this man, after all the stuff that he did, he shut up heaven from rain. He was fed by ravens. He brought a dead boy back to life. He called fire down to consume a sacrifice. He killed all the, listen, he killed 450 men. Elijah, Elijah was a, 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 a weapon of mass destruction. Elijah was. And now he hits a point where he's so tired, he's so afraid, he's so done that he says, I just wish I was dead. Now, what a difference a chapter can make. What a difference. One chapter, one little short season, one little event, one little phone call, one little change of job, one little somebody walking out of your life that you didn't need, one little that, one little abuse, one little difficult time. And now we forget everything that God has done. And this powerful weapon of mass destruction is tired, worn out. He takes one more hit, and the hit's just a threat. Nowhere in the Bible says he, she even acted on the threat, but it got into his mind and emotions. It got in there. Might as well have been real. And he's about to break. Now, I just don't think that that little thing should have caused him to go to that place unless, unless he was already cracked. And then, have we said it? Have we said this? If one more thing happens, if one more phone call, one more person, one more kid starts acting, I don't think I can. Why? Why would you say that? Because over the years, crack, 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 crack. And now, a chapter 19. There's no way that uh, you could get to this place in your life and have gone through some of the things you've gone through without being cracked a little. There's no way you experience the things you experience, the phone calls you've received, without being a little cracked. So the hurt, the pain, the disappointment, the stress, the events that you wished would have just ended with the event that turned into a season. More cracks. 
you let this person in and you found out some stuff and hold up those hinges, let them out. And now you're afraid because you thought they were the, they were the resource that you were dependent on. And God says, hello, hello. I'm the source for the resources. I'm it. Not the brook, not the widow lady, me. And I'll be your next. And God would tell you today, I love you, sweet child. But it's time for you to get up. But you don't know. <laughs> yeah, he does know. And he's only giving you so much life. You can't keep wasting it. Laying down under a tree, walling up my heart. Nobody's getting in. I'll tell you one thing. Nobody's going to get it. Real lonely way to live. A couple of things he gave Elijah is, number one, he gave him rest. By the way, Jesus did everything Jesus did, and he took naps. You know that? Jesus took naps. Not only this, you'll never find Jesus running in the Bible. Go ahead, look. I'll wait. I'll wait. And the second thing that he gave Elijah, watch it, was somebody to come alongside of him to make sure he didn't do his life in isolation. Well, I don't need nobody. Yeah, you do. We all do. The problem is you hadn't been able to trust anybody. And when Elisha came along, he wasn't somebody who was going to use Elijah. God's going to bring somebody in your life that's not out to use you. They're out to just do life with you. It'd be a lot of fun if you let them. But you know what we need this month more than anything else is not for God to do something for us, but for God to do something in us. You think the God who can speak to a raven could speak to healing cracks in your life? Think he can? Will you let him? Will you? Father, in Jesus' name, we're coming to you for healing this month. We're coming to you, Father, because we need work on us. And you said to get up, the people in this room, the people watching online, we're saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We might get up wobbly. We might get up, yeah, forgiving. And you said it's okay not to trust. Some people, okay then. I'll just forgive them and not trust them. But God, today, I'm getting up. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't you miss this month. Love you. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you've not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans 
If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do that right now. I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus' name. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text the word heaven to 94,000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions that you might have. And also, if you're in need of prayer, we'd love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting prayer support to 94,000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries here, text the word fellowship to 94,000 to connect with our staff today. And as always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. And thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.